Welcome to the Word on Wednesday podcast for July 13. Last year, the Anglican Connection held an online conference with the theme, The Unchanging God in a World of Change. As the Bible provides timeless answers to questions about life, various speakers brought us reflections on the Scriptures to remind us or to help us learn of God and the world in which we live. Dr. John Yates, Senior Minister of Holy Trinity Anglican Church, Raleigh, North Carolina, gave us two meditations on Psalm 19. With John's permission, here is his second reflection. This morning, we listened into the silent song of heaven in the opening verses of Psalm 19. Bruce Waltke and Jim Houston wonderfully summarized the impact of that song when they write that the firmament's uninterrupted proclamation of God's glory is copious, extravagant, powerful, and inescapable. It's an apt description, isn't it? But the testimony of the heavens, it takes up only the first six verses of this psalm. From verse 7 on, no longer is it the sun, moon, and stars singing God's praise. Now it's David's turn. And in taking up the song, he shifts his attention to another source of divine knowledge, which is God's law. With this new focus, David changes his language. In verses 1 through 6, the term he used for God was the Hebrew word El, which is a general term affirming that God is supreme and all-powerful. But from verse 7 on, David uses Yahweh, a personal and particular name given by God himself, and shared with his people. Yahweh is the name of the covenant maker, the God who reaches down into creation in order to make himself known by direct revelation to his people. And David carefully uses this name seven times, the number of completion and perfection. While the grandeur of the heavens elicits awe in the opening lines, the intimacy of direct and personal revelation draws forth devotion in the verses that follow. David writes, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. In verses 7 through 9, David uses six different terms for God's revealed word. He speaks of law, testimony, precepts, commandments, and rules or decrees, covering every aspect of God's self-revelation. He also speaks of the purifying fear of the Lord, which is the attitude of every heart that rightly encounters God's word. What does this polyvalent word from God accomplish? Well, David explains in rapid-fire succession. First, it revives. It gives new life. Second, it takes the simple, the ill-equipped, the ignorant, and makes them wise. Third, it brings forth deep-seated joy. Fourth, it makes the eyes of those who read and obey it sparkle with righteousness. Fifth, it produces pure, single-hearted, fearful devotion to God himself. And finally, It sets all who hear it on a firm and unalterable foundation, which is the eternal and unchanging character of God himself. While the heavens declare the glory of God, it is the law of Yahweh that reveals his love and his goodness. The heavens tell us that there is a sovereign, powerful God who created all things in a precise and orderly manner. 
But only God's law can convince us that this God is good and loving and so concerned for the people he created that he invites them to call on him by name. In verses 10 to 11, David's exploration of the goodness of God's word continues as he offers insight into the value, desirability, and effectiveness of this word. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. God's word is more valuable than even the most well-refined gold. In other words, there is nothing on earth that surpasses it in value. God's word is also desirable, sweeter than even the sweetest honey left trapped in the honeycomb. There's nothing that tastes as good as God's word or is as deeply satisfying to consume. As Thomas Cranmer wrote in his preface to the great Bible, in the scriptures are the fat pastures of the soul. Finally, the one who heeds God's word and obeys it is warned of dangers and is rewarded by faithfulness. God's revelation to us accomplishes something. It's powerfully effective to rescue and to bless those who keep it. Back in verse four, David invited us to consider the sun, 1.3 million times the size of the earth, containing 98% of the mass in our solar system and burning at a temperature of 27 million degrees Fahrenheit at its core. This blazing sphere, it cries out glory like no other star in the sky. But the power of its testimony pales in comparison to the words of God himself. That is what David is showing us in verses 7 through 11. It's no wonder that Spurgeon once said of God's word, it's a crime to add to it, treason to alternate, and felony to take from it. But with this torrent of praise for the goodness of God's word, we might expect the psalm to end, but it doesn't. There's one more section, one more change in focus, and this time it's a shift inward. Verse 12, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The shift is abrupt and it's superficially quite surprising. We want David's poem to end on a high. Instead, it concludes with a plea rooted in the humility of one who has stood beneath the glories of heaven and reveled in the love of God's revealed law. For David, this is natural and necessary as a conclusion to his reflections. He knows that his wanderings, his errors, his hidden faults and flaws make no sense at all in the light of what he has seen and said. But he knows that they are there and that he is ultimately powerless in the face of them. And so he pleads not just for mercy, but for protection and purification. He asks the all-powerful God who made the heavens and the loving Lord who revealed his law to reign in his life and to strengthen him for obedience. The whole psalm progresses with the logic of grace. And it comes to its quiet climax in verse 14 
when David refers to God as his redeemer. Now the term, it's pregnant with meaning in the context of God's law. It comes from the verb that describes the work of a near relative whose obligation is to rescue, protect, and restore life and liberty when a family member has strayed or been enslaved or abused. The God whose glory fills the skies is David's kinsman redeemer. How? Well, David likely doesn't fully understand it himself, but we do. We know that the ultimate revelation of God's glory and God's love isn't the stars that dazzle or the word that reveals. It is the only begotten son slain from the foundation of the world. Jesus came as our kinsman redeemer and laid down his own life that we might be restored to God, our father. Though the song of glory sung by the heavens echoes over us and the revelation of divine love pours forth from God's word, we cannot comprehend him until we meet his son. Only in Jesus, our kinsman redeemer, do we see the full extent of God's glory and God's love. And it is only through Jesus that we can then hear the song of heaven and rightly read his word. So as we come to the end of this psalm, we pray with David, let the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. A further prayer. Lord God, our Savior and our guide, Make your love the foundation of our lives. So may our love for you express itself in our eagerness to do good for others. Grant this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.
People involved in today's podcast are John Mason, speaker and writer, and Dr. John Yates, Senior Minister of Holy Trinity Anglican Church, Raleigh, North Carolina. The opening and closing music is from St. Andrew's Cathedral, Sydney, and the Aaronic Blessing is sung by the Chamber Choir of the Cathedral under the direction of Ross Cobb. Please let us know if you have a question or a comment about this podcast. We'd love to hear from you. 